good to be with you. Good to be with you. I'll uh, try and speak up if the uh, things are going to work this morning. Uh, we're going to continue with uh, Revelation this morning. Haven't been there for a little while. We've had a bit of a break from it. And we're back to chapter 17 this morning. As we continue to look at something uh, uh, interesting this morning, as, uh, as we see the uh, judgment of the Lord upon the, uh, the woman and upon the beast, we're going to look at some, uh, some things which uh, maybe some of us haven't uh, thought about before, and uh, I hadn't thought about before. So we're going to uh, hopefully look in God's Word, we're going to get a blessing from it and get a challenge from it as well. Uh, Revelation chapter 17, we're going to read from verse 6 to 8. Revelation 17, 6. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. And the beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you once again for this, uh, this time. We can look into your word. We thank you for the privilege we have and the many freedoms that we have to be able to, uh, to do these things that we do, Lord, to be able to meet, to pray openly, to declare ourselves to be Christians, followers of Christ. Lord, we thank you for that privilege. But Lord, we understand also that with privilege comes responsibility. And we ask this morning that as we look into your word, that we would not only be hearers of the word, but doers also. And that that doing may be done not only in here, but it would be done out there. More importantly, where people may see the life that we have in Jesus Christ and maybe turn, may turn from their own ways, may repent of their own sin and turn to you as well. So Lord, we ask that, um, that your word may change our lives as well, that we may come closer through obedience to know you more and more and grow into the image of your only begotten Son. So Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this time. I ask that you bless me as I attempt to share this message with my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hatred. Hatred. Who's ever experienced hatred? No one. Only two. So we'll talk to them a bit later because obviously they've got... Uh, Hatred is a very common, common experience in this world, a common um, uh, emotion that people feel. Hatred is a very complicated thing. One thing we know about hatred, though, it can lead to the most uh, diabolical and brutal atrocities that we see in the world around us. We read almost every day uh, murders that occur in the papers, we see them on, on televisions. We see people doing things to each other that can only be described by an intense hatred that people have for one another. And these hatreds also lead to countries going to war with each other and ongoing feuds that persist for generation after generation. And uh, if you've done any reading in, uh, about wartime, you'll understand that many atrocities happen during wars. Some of the things that are done in the name of, uh, of war are absolutely incredible. Innocent people being slain and tortured, mutilated. Man has a capacity and a propensity for hatred that expresses itself in the vilest of ways. Just this week, I heard of a, uh, a doctor who just released a book. This doctor was from Adelaide. And he went to the... Um, the former state of Yugoslavia that's split up into all these different countries now, you know, Serbia and, and, uh, and, uh, and Croatia and Herzegovina and, and those, those uh, different countries, and they've been at war with each other. And there's many people have been killed in that ongoing uh, struggle over there. 
Um, and he went over there as a doctor to help out in that area. He went simply to help because he realised there was a need. Many people were dying and he went to, um, to help. But he found himself being caught up in the war. So he went from being a doctor to a soldier, which is really rare in our day to hear of that sort of stuff because doctors take the Hippocratic Oath and they, they're there to, to help and to sustain life. Well, he found himself taking up a gun and actually um, going into war himself. And he tells of a story where he, he, he felt he had to take part in the actual war because they were being massacred to such an extent that he had to help out. And because he was a trained doctor, being in the division, was uh, he could do much more being with the soldiers than being outside. So he, um, he tells of a story where they would go uh, into a place that had been overrun uh, by the other side, let's say, because there is no right and wrong in this one here. There's no, there's no uh, right side, but he said that the, uh, the, the opposing army had been through a particular town and had massacred the whole town. And, and his job, along with his small contingent of soldiers, was to go through and see if there were any survivors in that particular town. And he said that uh, there was one time when um, uh, they came into a house and they found uh, the family had been massacred. Uh, all the men, the boys and the children had been killed. But there was a woman left there who was not killed. She'd been shot in both legs and had been stabbed in the stomach and, been left, and had been left there to watch her family in front of her, but also to prolong her suffering. They left her in that way. Now, what possesses a person to do that? I don't know, other than hatred. I can't understand how, how much hatred a person has to have uh, for someone or for a group of people to, to put themselves in that position. Well, this doctor said he had to go on and he's uh, only... Um, his only uh, the course of action that he could take was to shoot the woman in the head. And she asked to be shot because she couldn't live and he couldn't, he couldn't save her because the, uh, the, army was, uh, the opposing army was coming back and they didn't have the capacity to be able to take her or to treat her. So the only uh, course of action he had was to shoot her in the head, to put her out of her misery, which we find pretty uh, bad, but it's the only thing you could do. It was the most humane way of treating it. What, uh, what uh, troubles a lot of people, apart from the, the, the intense hatred that, that people have and, and nations have for each other, is that many of these uh, atrocities, many of the murders that we see, go unpunished. Most of those things that, that happen will never, never uh, be picked up by any uh, tribunal or court of law. They will be left unpunished, those people will never come to trial. Some do. Some do. Sometimes they have war, uh, war um, what are they called? War um, uh, commissions or whatever it is. And some of those people are brought to justice for the, for the ones who commit um, uh, genocide and war crimes. And sometimes they're, they're um, put away in prison. Well, I, I told you that story to liken it to another story. A story about an intense hatred that exists, that has existed for a long period of time. And just as, as uh, sometimes countries have an intense hatred for each other because of what's happened in the past, there is a, an ongoing story that is very ancient. And it's an intense hatred that exists for the children of God, by the children who follow the darkness. And this hatred has been going on for quite a long time. And this hatred, as we'll see in these two verses today, has culminates or, or has its fruition in, in, in the, the tribulation period. But we also find the good thing is that God ultimately brings justice as well. This hatred occurs almost from the start of the Bible and extends all the way through to the end. And today, today I want you to notice some things about this particular type of hatred, where it comes from, its origins, and what is the end of it. 
Most of, us, most of us are familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, correct? Um, Cain uh, is a tiller of the ground, he's a farmer. Uh, Abel, his brother, fraternal brother, twin, both born at the same time, um, is a, a herder of sheep. And both of them bring a sacrifice to the Lord. Cain brings his, which is from the fruit of the ground, and Abel brings his, which is a meat, a meat offering. And the Lord accepts Abel's, but doesn't accept Cain's. Um, uh, Cain is pretty unhappy about that. He feels like there's some sort of favouritism going on there, but the Lord was very clear about his instructions to both of them. And what would you do if you're in that situation and, you're, and you're, yours has been rejected? Well, you hate your brother. So Cain ends up hating his brother. And that culminates in what? Murder. He hates him and becomes jealous to such an extent that he takes his life. And the saddest thing about, about this whole, whole thing is, apart from this, a murder happening in a family, in the first family on this planet, is, is that were the first born in this world. The first brothers born in this world, the first born people in this world, um, ended up with one killing the other one. Amazing, isn't it? It's absolutely an amazing uh, story. So we find in that a hatred that exists from that time there, from Cain to Abel. Abel being uh, a, a picture of the child of God, the child who just wants to do the right thing before their Lord. And then you find the child of the devil. And you will read now a, a, a passage that, that calls Cain the child of the wicked one. Cain was sold out to Satan without even probably realising it. The hatred that he allowed Satan to, to infest in him caused him to kill his brother. Um, Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. And John um, expresses this contrast between these two brothers in this passage in a very interesting way and he likens it, up, uh, likens it to us today and how we are meant to live. First John chapter 3 verse 10 says, In this the children of God are, man are manifest... And the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So let's stop there for a sec. Manifest, to become manifest means to reveal openly, to reveal to everyone else, to make it plain. And John's saying, well, this is how the children of God are revealed. Because they love one another. This is how the children of the devil are revealed. Because... They don't do God's righteousness and they don't love. And verse 11 says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now that is the calling that we have. Now John is about to give us the opposite of that. John is going to now give us a very stark contrast to this love that we are called to live in our lives. It says in verse 12, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore he slew him? Wherefore slew he him? Because he, his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. John paints for us a very stark picture of the reality of the child of God and a child of the devil. And he basically says, if you, are, if you are a child of God, you love. And you not only love God, you love to do things for God. You love to fulfill righteousness. That is your love, your desire. In contrast, the child of the wicked one, who Cain is a perfect example of, has no desire to serve God. Does not love. Does not know how to love. And is sold out to Satan whether they understand it or not. This is the stark contrast between two brothers and the story of the struggle in men 
throughout the ages. There is a line that God has preserved from the beginning of men who have been given to him, who have not bowed the knee to Satan. It's a story that continues in our day of men who, who give themselves over to Satan and men who seek to follow the Lord. And, and let me be very plain with you this morning. You are either one or the other. If you aren't a child of God, you are automatically a child of Satan, whether you believe it or not. You are one or the other. Now, the good news is that you don't have to be a child of Satan. You can, by choice, be a child of God. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But verse 13 says something interesting. He says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Marvel not that the world hate you. Don't be surprised if as you live your Christian life, as you seek to live out what you believe, and you share that belief with, with the other people around you, so they see that what you're saying, you actually live, don't expect to be loved for it. Expect to be hated for it. In contrast, the passage is almost saying, expect to be loved by the brethren though. Expect true love to be shown to you by your brethren. Sometimes that doesn't happen, does it? That's where God's name gets blasphemed because Christians who don't love as they should. But John clearly says, love one another, but don't expect to be loved. If you, if you are hated, almost expect it. And he also says here that hating is tantamount to murder. Very simple. True hatred is the same as murdering someone. Why? I'll tell you why, very simply. Because the only reason you don't get rid of that person is because you may get caught out and suffer the consequences. But if you had the ability to be able to snap your fingers and get rid of someone without anyone ever noticing... probably would. True hatred does that. And John echoes Jesus' teaching here that just to hate someone is as good as murdering them. That's why the Lord tells us to love our enemies. You see, that's the highest, isn't it? I don't know, I don't know of any other, uh, other faith in the world that says, love your enemies. If you have the capacity, if God has given us the capacity to love those who hate us, Okay, the very ones who stand against us, who hate us. If we have the capacity to love them, guess what you're going to do with your brother automatically? You aren't going to hate your brother. So God calls the Christian and gives the Christian the capacity to love, truly, like no other being on this planet. If we don't, we only have ourselves to blame. Because God has already said we can we have no excuse not to. But don't expect to be loved by the world. In Jesus' day, it was the same thing. Jesus experienced that same hatred that started off from Cain and Abel. That's why he got himself into hot water a lot of times with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the lawyers. He was simply revealing the truth to them and sometimes people don't want to hear the truth. Turn to John chapter 8, verse 44. And Jesus speaks very plainly to these, uh, these people. John eight forty four says, now have a listen to this. The Pharisees and the scribes the Sadducees were all opposing Jesus. Mind you, they all didn't like each other, 
But when it came time to, to confront Jesus, they all ganged up on him. And Jesus says to them very plainly, Ye are of your father, the devil. And the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus tells them very plainly the reason they cannot accept the truth from him, the reason they, don't, they cannot take it in themselves is because they are children of the devil. Very plainly. They were children of Satan. And they were fulfilling the lusts of their own father. They were carrying on as children of the devil because the devil was into murder, into lying from the beginning. And what were the Pharisees and Sadducees seeking to do to Jesus? Kill him. While they were questioning him and trying to, to, to get him uh, to answer falsely so they could accuse him or whatever, they were plotting to kill him while he was revealing the truth to them. And Jesus tells us these words in, John, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 21. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. And again, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 9, Jesus says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. But in John chapter 15, verse 18, he says also, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. That's a comforting, isn't it? The world hated Jesus before it hated us. So if you experience hatred today, let that thought comfort you. Jesus won. Jesus won the battle. And, we, and our, our success, our, um, uh, our destiny lies in his uh, winning, in his success. If we are found in Christ, then you are already more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. But Jesus very clearly says the world will hate us. And it also says that it will attempt to, it will attempt to eventually to try to wipe away or wipe out the Christians in this world. And that's what we find out during the tribulation period. Just one more example before we, um, I'll take you to the origin of this thing. This, exactly the same story happens with Jacob and Esau. Esau hates his brother Jacob. And it tells us in Genesis chapter 27, verse 41, And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. It continues all along the line. In the same family, there are those that are sold to Satan and there are those who would follow the Lord. And even when Joseph was revealing what the Lord was, was giving to him in dreams, what were his brothers doing? They became jealous and hated him. At that stage, they were, they were following the will of their father, who was Satan. Now, praise God, there was a turnaround there. Now, where is the origin of this? Turn back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. Satan has used a serpent to tempt Eve and as a result both Eve and Adam have eaten of that forbidden fruit. And the Lord said in verse 14, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. 
And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The Lord pronounces a curse on the serpent. And in pronouncing a curse on the serpent, and in saying this to the serpent, you're going to be crawling on your belly for the rest of your life. You're going to eat dirt. He was pronouncing judgment on Satan as well. You see, to be put down on your belly and to eat dust is symbolic of defeat. He was pronouncing judgment upon what Satan had done and telling Satan, you're going to be defeated. You are going to be judged for what you've done. And then he mentions in verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his head. How is God going to put enmity between Satan and the woman, between her seed and, and uh, his seed? Well, very easily. Because God made a promise that, he, that through the line of men and through a woman that a Messiah, that the Christ would be born who would defeat him. That's going to make him very upset because he knows he's lost. If Christ comes into the world, he's lost the battle. He knows that. So let's put it very plainly. Satan hates mankind. That's the reason he had to tempt Adam and Eve. He hates them. So his desire for them was to kill them. He knew God's law. He knew that what God said was true, did he not? So the first thing he says is to deny that. He knew that if he could tempt them, that, that eventually they would die, that God would kill them as well. So that was his desire. On top of that, there are a couple of things that probably caused him to become a little bit jealous and caused him to hate man in the first place. One is that man was created in God's image. And the second thing was that man was given dominion over the whole world. Correct? So man had dominion. Man had the choice to do with this planet as he chose. Satan didn't. Satan's desire was to become like God, was to be God, but he wasn't getting anywhere. And all of a sudden he sees these, these two beings that are created who were given dominion over a planet. Doesn't like it. And they're created in God's image as well. So his desire was to destroy, to murder. So that's why he was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. He's, he had an intense hatred and still does for man. It's interesting um, uh, uh, tradition that the kings of the East especially uh, would have when they defeated rival kings. They would put their, their foot on their neck in response to uh, if, if, if you're a king and you, and you won and you, you conquered another, another kingdom you would have the other king brought before you you'd lie and prostrate on the ground in front of all your subjects and, uh, and you would put your foot symbolically on his neck to say you've lost in the end that's what's going to happen to Satan just as the Bible says here that he bruised the heel of the, uh, of the seed of the woman the seed of the woman bruises his head there has been from the beginning an intense hatred. That's the enmity, the war that's been going on from the beginning. Satan knows that the, that the Messiah would be born. That would bruise his head. That would destroy him. The judgment was already pronounced. So in an effort to stop that from happening, he had to try to destroy mankind and stop that line from actually happening. And so there has been an intense hatred from the beginning until now. And this brings us back to our verse in Revelation chapter 17, verse 6. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints 
and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The woman here represents false belief, false um, uh, doctrine, false religion. And included in that is uh, apostate Christianity as well. You can lump them all together in the whole thing. From the beginning, Satan's lies have permeated mankind's thinking. And they've infiltrated and created false religions and false doctrines. So this woman represents false religion. And she has, from the beginning, from Cain and Abel, because Cain was following which religion? Not the right one. So from the beginning, this woman who represents this, this false religious system has killed, murdered saints, prophets, martyrs, all along the way. And she has murdered so many of them. The, 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 the description here is quite graphic. She has murdered so many of them that she has become drunk with their blood. That's the picture. The woman is responsible for so many murders and killed so many that she is staggering around like a drunken person because she has taken so much. And the scripture says here that um, John says, I wondered with great admiration. Well, that word admiration, you might think, wow, John's admiring this woman. Well, he's not exactly admiring. This is the, the, a word that means wonder or astonishment. And it actually repeats it again in, in verse 7. He marveled at what he saw. To him was like an incredible thing. And the, the angel says, why do you marvel? Let me tell you. Let me explain it to you. The system hates true religion. The system hates true faith and true doctrine. It stands against the ones who trust in God's truth found in Scripture. It continues the lie that started in the garden that God's word can't be trusted. And that's the, that's the, uh, the deception that... that Satan gave to Adam and Eve from the beginning. You can't trust God's word. Did he say? As a Christian, you become the bearer of that truth. Do we not? As Christians, we carry that truth around with us. And in doing so, um, invite the hatred we become the ones who then become the focus of this hatred in this world. What happens when you tell people the truth who are opposed to you? Do they generally love you for it? No. They generally want to argue the point. And, in, and, and we're lucky in this country, or I'll say lucky, we're, we're, uh, we're blessed in this country because we have a, a system whereby people's rights are protected. The system of government protects people's rights to have different opinions. Let's see how, um, how blessed we would be, how, uh, how fortunate we would be if we were doing the same and living the same way in Afghanistan or some of the Middle Eastern countries. But in 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Don't be surprised. The history of the church has demonstrated that apostate Christendom and false religion is unsparing in its persecution of those who attempt to maintain a true faith in Jesus Christ. What has been true in the past will be brought to the ultimate fruition in the future, when the martyrs will be, will be beyond number from every kindred, tongue and nation. That's what makes it such a marvel to behold the amount of, of killing that occurs. And during the tribulation period is when we find that really blows completely out. Turn to Luke chapter 11 verse 51 for me.
Jesus pronounces judgment on, on the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and lawyers of his day. And he says to them very plainly, from the blood of Abel, Luke 11.51, from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple, verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Of this generation? Of what? The Jews? Are going to be guilty of Abel's blood? No. It's this false system of religion that's been from the beginning, which was permeating through Israel at that, at that time. And it's permeated through, through Israel and every other false religion in the world from the beginning. This woman represents the hatred that exists between the devil's children and God's children. But who supports it? Who carries this woman around and gives her authority and gives her power and, and the ability to be able to go around and do this stuff? Well, it says in Revelation 17, 8, the beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. It is the beast that carries this, this woman. And the beast is, is normally, uh, normally equates to political systems in the world that Satan's been able to use to create, to... Um, to, to give the woman power and authority. We've mentioned already uh, in past sermons the revival of the Roman Empire which takes place in the end times. An empire which fell in around the 400s. But in scripture we find that the king and the kingdom are often synonymous with each other and the, the terms are used interchangeably so that the beast is not necessarily just a, a kingdom but represents a person. And the final kingdom, or this, this, uh, this, this revival of this Roman Empire, will be ruled by a king that we call the Antichrist. The culmination of evil. <coughs> a man sold out to sin, sold out to Satan, and seemingly possessed by Satan. You see, most, if not all, commentators speak of this person being the one whom Satan enters into himself so that Satan is able to live through this person. He becomes a personification of Satan. Well, as I've been reading uh, more and more on the subject, I found this is probably not the case. That it's not necessarily Satan that enters into that person and possibly someone else. And when he speaks about this beast in chapter 8, there are a few interesting uh, things that, that, that John mentions that makes you think a little bit outside of, of, of that, that basic, uh, basic understanding. And there's a few key phrases that got me thinking about this as I've been, as I've been studying. John says, the beast that thou sawest was. Okay, so he was, he existed. And John says, and he's not. So when John wrote the, the letter, he was not around. And then it says, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and then go to perdition. So this being existed at one time, didn't exist through John's day or in John's day. Then this being arises up from the bottomless pit and then goes to perdition, which means destruction. Well, it would seem that it can't be just the Roman Empire here because the Roman Empire was but also existed during John's day. It was at its peak of power during John's day. So it's not as if the empire was not or went out of circulation or power. It did not vanish at that stage. 
So John wrote that the beast was and was currently not existing according to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it can't be the Roman Empire. Could it be a man? Some have speculated that it's Nero. Some have speculated that's actually a person who will be resurrected during the tribulation period. Well, there's problems with that as well. This person would have to be in existence before John, then not be in existence during John's writings, and then be somehow resurrected in the end days. I've never known Satan to be able to resurrect anyone. I know God can resurrect people. Something to think about, anyway. It leaves us with a third alternative, which is that the beast described in this particular thing refers specifically to an angel. To an angel that enters a man. There's a few things that I'm leaning towards for this particular thing. There's a few reasons why I'm leaning towards this particular uh, uh, understanding here. First of all, we know that when Satan had his rebellion in heaven, was it he alone who fell? No. He drew a third of the angels in heaven. And we know there are a myriad of angels. But he was able to draw, through his deception and rebellion, a third of those with him. So he's not the only one. There are many types of angels in heaven. As we, as we find out in Revelation, there are different classes. There are different types of angelic beings. There are also beings in Revelation that speak of, that speak of beasts in heaven. Revelation 7 and 11 says, And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God. And the Bible teaches that the beasts mentioned in these verses are loyal to God. They worship God. Could it be possible that maybe one of those beasts fell? Or more? I don't know. This is only, it's, I'm only just uh, speculating with that particular thing there. But the Bible then says, or John then says, that the beast arises from the bottomless pit and then goes into perdition. He ascends from the bottomless pit and goes to destruction. In order for us to answer the question, we need to understand what the bottomless pit is, first of all. What is it? Some people automatically just think it's, it's, it's hell or, or think, it's something, uh, think it's something else. What is the purpose of the bottomless pit? Well, very basically, the bottomless pit is a prison for a number of rebellious angels, not all of them some of them, who were thrown into it. The Greek word for this bottomless pit is called the abyss, which I've spoken about in the past. And the, the scriptures also say that the angels that are confined in this pit are there until the day of judgment. Turn to Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9 verse 1 And the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit and he opened the bottomless pit and there arose a smoke out of the pit as a smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit and there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. We see here the opening of this particular pit, of this bottomless pit. And we've spoken about this particular chapter. We've gone through this chapter already. And what I, I told you was that these locusts are not your regular locusts because they don't eat anything green. They attack humans. And, and on top of that, they don't attack every human. They attack particular types of humans. 
these locusts are very intelligent little creatures and they're not exactly locusts they're a picture of demons and then it says something interesting in verse 11 it says and they had a king over them which is the angel of the bottomless pit whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon in both those names they mean the destroyer now originally when I was looking uh, or went over this thing I automatically equated that with Satan Satan has come to steal to kill and to destroy so I automatically assumed what's well, got to be Satan because all the commentators said that's Satan Satan's a king of the of the bottomless pit now, hang on a sec Satan's never been in the bottomless pit he's never been there these angels these demons are coming up out of the pit they've been released by the fifth angel or by by a, uh, a star that fell from heaven sorry they've been released from that pit but the Bible never mentions Satan as being ever thrown into that pit where is Satan now the Bible clearly says that Satan is on the loose and has always been on the loose even going up to heaven coming down to earth and doing whatever he wants he has freedom complete freedom the Bible says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air it doesn't sound as if he's been bowed in any sort of uh, pit to me it also says that you if you resist the devil he will do, do what flee from you uh, he can't be you can't be resisting him if you're uh, if he's down in the pit he can't be flying around up to heaven and that but it says they had a king over them and this king is called the destroyer now like i've said practically every commentator that i've read says that this that this uh king over these these uh angels that come up out of this pit is satan himself but it doesn't seem to match for me There is a time when the Bible says that he will be thrown into the pit. Go to chapter 20 of Revelation. And this is where John clearly identifies the name. You see, the angel, the king of the, of the, the demons that come, that come up from the pit, he calls him Abaddon or Apollyon. He could have called him Satan or the devil, but he didn't. But here he says very clearly in Revelation 22, <coughs> and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan. Is that clear enough for us? The serpent, the dragon, the devil and Satan. All terms always used synonymously of, of uh, Satan. And bound him a thousand years. And where did he cast him? into the bottomless pit now this is later this is after the lord has returned and judged he is thrown into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled and after that that he must be loosed a little season Satan is cast into the pit after the tribulation period. Not before. And that's backed up by... Actually, I'll, I'll, I'm going ahead of myself here. If you look at verse 7 of chapter 20 in Revelation, it then says, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of which is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan is released from the abyss and, and, and he deceives the world 
he is finally judged and then he is thrown into his final place which is destruction which is perdition the lake of fire where the antichrist and the false prophet are already there are already in that place their final place satan is never mentioned as coming up from the abyss during the tribulation period or when the antichrist comes to power because the abyss is clearly a place for holding other angels satan on the other hand has been free to roam during the tribulation period and in our day. Go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. So now keep in mind, you've gone from chapter 20, which is the end, right? Which is right at the end, when every, everyone's uh, been through their judgments and, and all that sort of stuff. A thousand years have expired. Now we're going back to chapter 12, and we're going to look at this. This is an interesting part. It says in verse 7, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. It doesn't say he was cast into the bottomless pit. It says that he is thrown to the earth and then, and then it goes on to say, uh, woe to the earth because he's come down to you and he's pretty upset and he can't get back into heaven. He doesn't have that, that, that freedom anymore. He is bound to the atmosphere of this earth. And he knows his time is short. But on the other hand, Scripture tells us that um, uh, the angel that falls from heaven, an angel that falls from heaven has a key to that bottomless pit and releases the ones who have been tied up in that place. So you have this, you have this uh, situation where there's a war in heaven. Satan isn't allowed to go there anymore. You see, Satan loved to parade, him, parade himself around heaven by the sounds of it. If you read Job, it says that there'd be a day when the sons of God would present themselves before the throne and, and they would uh, give an account of themselves, I think it may be, or to worship. And he'd, he'd arrive as well. He'd arrive before the throne of God and God would say, where have you been? And he'd say, oh, roaming around, walking up and down the length and breadth of the place and doing this and doing that. He had complete freedom. But there's going to come a time during the tribulation period where he's cast out of heaven. There is a war between Michael and the angels and between the devil and his angels and he's cast out and he's no longer allowed in there. And then we find that the demons who have been chained in this bottomless pit come up as well at the same time. A terrible time for the earth. Absolutely uh, terrible. Turn with me to a couple of other passages just so we get a final understanding of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also, also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, were in few that his eight souls were saved by water. What was the prison that Jesus went to? When he died, it says that he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Why would he preach to the spirits in prison? I mean, if they were men and they died, why would he need to, to proclaim anything to them? 
Turn to Jude chapter 1 verse 6. Jude chapter 1 verse 6. Now, listen very carefully here. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, <clears throat> the angels which kept not their first estate, what sort of estate is that? What were angels created for? They were created to worship God in heaven. They were, they were created angelic spirit beings, not flesh and bone like us. These are spiritual beings. Now, it says they did not keep their first estate, but left their own habitation. Well, we know that a third of them fell, and they ended, ended up spending a fair bit of time where? Here on this earth. Doing what? Pray tell. What would they be up to? What are they trying to do over here? Well, do you remember? There was a promise that God made the serpent, and he said that there would be a Messiah that would be born one day. There'd be a seed of a woman that would crush his head. Now, if I was Satan, I'd be doing everything in my power to stop that from happening, wouldn't you? He was still, he was still trying it in Herod's day. Do you remember when they found out that, that the Messiah would be born in, in, uh, in Bethlehem? What did Herod do? Didn't he try and kill all the firstborn? That's been going on from the beginning. Satan has tried to stop this event, the birth of Jesus Christ, from happening from the beginning. So, Satan has a multitude of angels at his disposal. And the goal is to try to destroy mankind and stop this plan from, of God's plan from taking place, trying to thwart God's plan. How would you do that? Well, I know how I'd do it if I had a number of uh, demons at my, at my command. I would say you start possessing people. You start, you start inhabiting them and driving them just like you drive a car. The Bible says that that happened all the way back in Noah's day and many of them who by the looks of it, these angels who attempted to thwart God's plan and destroy the bloodline or, or do whatever, um, were thrown into prison, were thrown into this bottomless pit. Now, there's another indication that it's the, the angels who attempted to possess men that were thrown into the bottomless pit. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Luke 8.26 says, And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time, and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he brake the bands, and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? 
And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And listen to this. They besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was there an herd of many swine feeding on the mountain, and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them, and he suffered them. Now, the interesting verse here is verse 31. It says, They besought him not to command them to go out into the deep. What deep? The, the pool? The, 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 the sea? No. That deep is the Greek word abyss. Jesus had the authority not only to cast them out, but to cast them in to the deep. To cast them into the bottomless pit. And it would seem that that was a judgment that probably fell upon other demons beforehand. Where the Son of God could cast them into the bottomless pit. Now, my question is today, I don't think that Satan is the one that comes up from the bottomless pit. But I know there are a number of demons who had a propensity, probably, to indwell men and possess them for their purposes, who were thrown into the bottomless pit, who were coming up out of this pit now, and the Bible names one of them specifically as Apollyon, the destroyer. It's very possible that Apollyon, who was a king of the, the angels in the bottomless pit, could have indwelt or been the one to indwell the Antichrist and enter into him specifically. Now, I don't know whether that is true or it could have been another angel, but I, I would say that it wasn't Satan. I would say that it was probably one of the angels that came up from the bottomless pit that indwelt this one that we call the Antichrist this morning. In the last days, in the last seven years on this planet, the greatest hatred and atrocities and everything will take place. It will be worse than when God destroyed the whole world. Do you remember? God had to destroy a world with water and save one family from it because of the sin that was prevalent. It will be worse in these days. And it will be worse because Satan and his demons will be confined to the earth. The demons from the abyss will be released. And men's hearts will be swayed to worship a man. A man indwelt by a demon. The hatred will not decrease for us. The hatred will increase. As the time gets closer to the, to the tribulation days, the hatred for us will increase. The more we speak, the more we'll be hated. Our numbers will not grow. Our numbers will be fewer. Because when, when trials come, the true will be sorted out from the false. There are many people who claim the name of Christ today. But most of them aren't true Christians. The question is, where are you today? Which side of the line do you stand? The Bible clearly says that you are either a child of God or you are a child of Satan, whether you understand it or not. Can I, can I uh, uh, implore you? What word am I looking for? Can I, uh, can I uh, beseech you? If you're a child of Satan, if you don't know if you're a child of God, don't wait. Don't wait to become a child of God because God gives you the, 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 the ability to do that. God wishes that none should perish, but that all men should come to a saving knowledge. The other reason I would say turn to God very quickly is because do you want to be at the mercy of Satan? Satan has shown through all, at all history that he hates mankind. He hates mankind. And I would, I would feel much better 
if I knew I was under the loving care of the Almighty God who was going to who had won already and Satan I knew Satan was going to lose but also I am at the mercy of I'd rather be at the mercy of Jesus Christ than at the mercy of Satan because Satan has no mercy in the end he will use and he will discard and he will destroy if you're not sure if you're saved this morning why would you wait why would why wouldn't you accept the love that God has shown to us through his only son? Why would you even think that you should wait another day? There is no reason to. Because you're not worshipping Christ, you're worshipping Satan already. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you rather be under the loving care of Jesus Christ? In the end, Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire. Their final perdition, destruction. Unfortunately, all those who have not called upon Christ to save them will be thrown in with them. To be forever with them. Where are you today? If you were to die today, where would you go? Where would you be? Because we don't know if this day will be our last, do we? Regardless of what age you have, there are a number of different ways that we can pass away. But the Lord is gracious and that he's been very patient. But you know something? The patience finishes when we die. He'll give you a certain amount of time. We all have a certain amount of time to hear and obey question is where are we we know that the battle will continue to rage between the sons of God and the sons of the devil where are you today who do you identify yourself with don't wait another day give your heart to Jesus today repent of your sin and turn to him accept him as your Lord and Saviour and know where you're going to go God bless you thanks Tom